Welcome to Look Mom, No Hands. We have an amazing show today, exploring those scary choices life presents through the lived experience of our guests. Many of you will recognise that incessant whisper in your ear, tugging you to change your life, squaring up for the big jump. Whether it's career, life, family or love, there's that saying, if you're unwilling to be a foolish beginner, you will never improve. Or as I say, a life lived in fear is only half a life. for joining us for another episode we are coming live from well pre-recorded the coal office in king's cross london we're joined by my co-host daniel and today's guest dan pellets am i pronounced that correct Pellets. yeah Pellets. yes thank you for having us thank you for coming hello Hello. dan being the head chef here. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you very much. I mean, just taking a look at this incredible restaurant. It is beautiful. Um, I mean, the location, and, and we've had a chance to spend a few minutes um, getting a little bit fed and watered downstairs, just seeing the food prep, and I'm starving at 10 o'clock in the morning as a result. <laughs> I always say a good restaurant is, uh, you know, when you enter and you smell this, the good scents, that's a good uh, sign. If it, yeah, if it no, smells no, like no. good food. It's and it makes you aware of just the amount of work that goes in, the food prep, you know, that yeah. you're not serving till lunch and at nine in the morning they're busy no. sharpening knives and chopping and baking and whatever. You know, this profession is a lot like, uh, like a live show. You... Uh, most of the work is the the, rehe- the rehearsals and then the service time when you guests come in it's just you know that's the that's the top of the iceberg yeah. what comes before is immense yeah prep. well i've always thought restaurants were a bit of a performance because you can't get a second chance if it's not on the plate and correct one shot yeah one shot that's, that's why i always see it as a mistake to compare this profession to art you know, it's, it, it is in some sense a form of art, but it's not really a form of art because it's really craft, you know, that you have to uh, skill your hone, hone your skills really well on it. Uh, yeah. It's just my, well, my it, idea. <laughs> well, I think I, in reading some of the background on you, you, you certainly talk about it being an emotional experience, <clears throat> you know, a good meal, a, a memorable experience. And I think Absolutely, that's, yeah. I think things that are emotional tend to be memorable as well. Yeah, I think uh, good flavors are engraved in your memory from the get-go. You know, as a kid, if you eat something uh, or you smell something, it, it, it follows your life. Mm. Yeah. There's a lot of good restaurants around the world that base their menu on that uh, memories and, and scents. Well, Dan, you know, we, you, you've been interviewed quite a lot, which, yeah. is, which is a sign of your success. So, you know. But we take a slightly different approach. And we're not just going to do the chronolo- chronolo- chronological thing and allow you to tell us your story the way you want. You know, we're, we're going to unpick it a little bit and make you sit with some pain at moments <laughs> where things weren't so easy. Go ahead. If you're happy. To, I'm, I'm to exposed. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, I live my life like I mean, that. there's a couple of moments I, I, I want to talk about. One is the six-year-old Dan, because you, you talk a lot about learning from, at home from your grandmother. Yeah. And, of course, a lot of us have creation myths or... Your origin stories, which is the way we tell. I, I have one about my family history. I, yeah. I'm not sure how much of it is true anymore, but you know, it's a good story, and I sort of believe it myself. But I mean, you, you as a six-year-old, were you were you all clear then that you had this kind of interest in the kitchen, or were you just rearranging the pots and pans as a kind of technical exercise? Well, my mom says as when I was a toddler, you know, three years old, oh, three. she uh, brought all the pots and pans to the lower level, so I don't climb up the um, the marble. Eliminating a risk already. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and my thing was to get all the pots and pans out and rearrange them. I don't know if it was organized or not, but that's so, what she's saying. So, so this is really important. Were you trying to make the nest as efficiently as possible so that, you know, they you know, fit inside I each other? I need to investigate that more with my mom, how because, OCD I was there uh, I mean, already. But um, yeah, it started at three and then at six, um, my mom is liberal, you know, she just let me cook dinners. And there's literally photos of me, you know, cooking meals at that age. It's weird. I don't know why. Uh, 
it attract me so much. I think it more, more or less connected to the fact that if I have to find a good answer about it, it's, uh, you know, I always try to be independent as a young kid. Uh, it was very important for me. And there's a sense of independence in the kitchen where you're, you're yeah. in control, you know? You're in yeah. control, you're yeah. cooking something. If you're gonna uh, make it bad, it's upon you. If you're gonna make it great, it's upon you, so. Yeah, you're actually right, it's independence. I always remember my mum having a panic attack yeah. when she realized I was leaving home properly <laughs> and she hadn't taught me to cook or I had learned to cook and she bought me a wok, yeah. a big jar, big bottle of soy sauce and said, just chop everything small and fry it and put in some soy, you can't go wrong. And this was kind of like her survival package for me. <laughs> For, for, oh, for, son, for a son that hadn't, hadn't learned any kitchen a skills. Walk and a bottle of soy. That's good. <laughs> That's good. But also the, the, the idea that I had so, so few culinary skills that all I had to do was chop everything small. Yeah. You know, was a, yeah. Like an idiot's guide yeah. to, to leaving yeah, yeah, home. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, do you, do, you, do, you, do you, looking back now, do you think you were always destined to be a chef? Or did, was there a moment when, when um, you might have done something else? Your, your father's a lawyer, right? Yeah, my, fa and my father that owns kind his of own law office. And did, he, did he want to encourage you in that direction? No, my parents, you know, my parents were liberal from day one. Like, never had the intention of like, uh, you should do what we think you should do. You know, it was very like, hands off, do what's right for you. And it shows, you know, my, my older brother started in the law office with my dad, but then changed his mind, no hard feelings. You know, now he's, uh, uh, he worked in Hilton Hotel, and he's in the, in the hotel industry. Um, my other brother, Jonathan, is, uh, is a painter. He lived okay. most of his life in Florence, his professional life, and now he's in Tel Aviv making his art. And my sister is in professional journalist. So it's like, you know, there's no, there's no one line of thought where you have like a dad who is a lawyer and he's pushing everyone to become partners in his law office. Um, with me, it was like, you know, a toggle of, you know, a war basically in my head uh, because that you created for yourself. So yeah, it was an internal <laughs> war. I say um, I had thought about becoming a lawyer, and then I had thought about going to agriculture university in Israel because agriculture is a big uh, establishment in Israel. We yeah. founded Israel based on agriculture. Yes, greening the desert. Yeah, yeah, and uh, <clears throat> and one day my my oldest brother Guy he. He worked back then in a catering company with a successful chef from Israel, and he told him about me and you know my history. I basically cooked in my younger life in restaurants, and then the army service kind of stopped it, so I haven't touched it in a long time. And he said, "Well, if your brother is thinking about that profession, he should take it seriously and go to the U.S. to learn uh, culinary skills." And then I opened that website page, and. From then, you know, it's, it, it clicked really fast. So um, I, I didn't have a, you know, a struggle with my parents to convince them or something like that. <coughs> I remember that night very vividly when I called my dad. He came into my room, he sat on the couch and he showed him that website and he said, I think this is what I want to do. And he said, let's go for it. You know? okay. yeah. And I, I owe that to my parents, you know, the, the liberty and the Kind of like, is it the confidence in you yeah. to follow your own path? 100%. Yeah, because I mean, this is, I think this is one of the core elements of what we're investigating is the is the you know the risk of this sort of secure life, you know, the job with the promotion structure, the salary, blah blah blah, well, and, the, and, the, and the people that just have to follow some other higher calling because they know it's in them, and it, it's not clear how you make a success. The motto of the RAF is the one who dares wins. Mm. And my dad's unit in uh, Israel... The, the SAS, actually. SAS, yeah. Yeah, yeah. My dad's unit in the army in Israel copied, there was like a elite unit, they copied that motto. I remember that, how my dad... It, how does that sound in Hebrew? Me'ez uh, uh, uh The one who dares wins. And it's like, you know, there's so many small mottos that I picked up in my younger life that made yeah. me think like that, like my dad saying to me that, not in a necessarily way that like you have to, to think like that, it's just something I picked 
you yeah. know, and then I heard once uh, Shimon Peres, if you know him, he was like <laughs> former uh, prime minister, former uh, president. president. Sorry, president. Uh, he was a prime minister for a, a hot second. Um, but yeah, a very inf influential guy in Israel. And I heard him once. Uh, I read, I read an interview he did. Uh, he said the bored people are the walking dead. Mm. You know, so all those things kind of like created a, a agenda for me in my head that in order to uh, strive for something, you have to take some risks. Yeah. And not calculated risks. <laughs> they cannot be calculated. So this is, this is look mum, no hands, really, yeah. isn't look it? Mom, this, no you know, just yeah, it's perfect. Taking, sometimes it's taking stupid risks just to see, yeah. <clears throat> to see what happens, right? Look, um, you, can, you can take... Did you, did you scare your mum at all? <clears throat> I think, you know, I think moving, uh, being, being the youngest kid, being the youngest You're the youngest, kid, right? the youngest. I didn't realize that. Uh, my mom, <clears throat> uh, my parents are nearly 40 years old. My dad is uh, less than a day, 40 years exactly. He's the, the 13th, I'm the 14th of April, 40 years I'm between us. I'm far away from my older, my older is 12 and my sister is 6 and my brother is 9, so it's like, I'm really young compared to them, so I'm the baby, yeah. you know, I'm the baby, yeah. and I'm sure for a mother uh, to hear her son saying, all right, I'm moving to the other side of the world, must be hard. I'm sure inside uh, it freaked her out, but she never made me feel that way. She's mm. always, always, until today, you know, I'm living my life in a different country. Yeah. Um, with a wife that is not from my country. And always the sentence that followed was, as long as you are happy, yeah. I'm happy. And you know, I think it's a great parenthood uh, uh, way. Yeah. Well, I think, um, you know, I'm Jewish, as you probably yeah. imagine, and my parents met in the war, mm -hmm. working in the BBC. My mother came from Germany, my father came from Bulgaria. So this idea of the collision of worlds yeah. and being prepared to uproot the wandering Jew type problem <laughs> and uh, you know being the outsider in lots of places but having that perspective so I, that's, that's actually a question I had for you do you do you think that movement so you've been in America you've been in Israel you, you're in London uh, do you think that that gives you a perspective on what the gaps in the market are where you could sort of do something interesting I think, I think in that in that sense I have a leverage yeah because I'm exposed to as you said, different markets and also different cultures. And yeah, absolutely, it's a leverage because, uh, you know, I, I, I said once uh, in an interview, actually, it was about uh, peace. And I said, you know, after living for seven years outside of my community, which is such a uh, very defined way of thinking, well, obviously... When you say my community, you mean Israel? Yeah. Yeah. So there's right and left, and there's extremists here yeah. and extremists there, but they kind of like, you know, there's a kind of like a, a standard way of thinking. Once you detach yourself from it and you live in a different culture for seven years in New York, you expose yourself to other cultures and you say, okay, there's another way of thinking, there's another way of living, another way of acceptance. Uh, you develop more patience and different uh, aspects of politeness, in a sense. And I, I'm an honest believe that if there is ever going to be a world peace, is if every person will live at least two years out of his comfort zone. Yeah. You know, expose you more, and you're becoming more yeah. open, open-minded. Uh, that's that's a really interesting observation. I mean, is it, you know, I, I was talking last night with some friends actually, um, and we were saying that even amongst my incredibly well-travelled friends, because I I come from a world where people spend a lot of time travelling. Yeah. Very few have even been to Israel, for instance. Mm -hmm. yeah. Although Israel's coming to them, yeah. you know, cur courtesy of Yotam, Motolenghi, and uh, Honey and Co. And now, you know, yeah, uh, I mean, the Coal Office and we, a few other places. We have great, uh, great representatives. Among them, the, my chef patron, Asaf Ganit. You know, he he just won a, a Michelin star in Paris yeah. for an Israeli restaurant in the capital of the culinary in, yeah. the, in the world. That's really taking it to the to the enemy, isn't it? Yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah. Basically, it is. It is. It's like <coughs> poking their finger in the belly. Um, yeah. I mean, I mean, Israel is doing great for itself in many aspects. It's a small country. It makes a lot of noise. You know? yeah. I like to describe myself as a pincher dog. 
I think you all tiny and loud. <laughs> I think you observed something in, 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 in what material I read about how Israel is such a, a melting pot of people from all over the world. You know, that, and I've experienced that when I go there. That you yeah. can just have the cuisine from anywhere in the world. It's a bit like a New York or a London, actually, but obviously on a tiny scale yeah. by comparison. I always describe in terms of the depth of uh, offering yeah. and so forth. Tel Aviv is like a small neighborhood in New York, just with a seashore. Yeah, that's how it feels. But you know, all my, my daughter calls it Shoreditch on Sea. Actually, Shoreditch. On sea. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one. Shoreditch. On sea. Yeah, it feels, it feels that it way. It does feel that way. Yeah. But when you know in specifics and exactly what we're doing here, the modern day Jerusalem cuisine. Uh, Jerusalem is such a brand. You know, it's like you say Jerusalem to anyone, and he immediately know what it means. You know, it's like probably one of the biggest brands. It's bigger than Nike. Sense. Yeah. Uh, and Jerusalem in specific, and where the restaurant Machni Yuda, that Kolov has generated its DNA from, is coming, is the biggest melting pot in the world in terms of religion, in terms of food, in terms of people. You have yeah. everything in Jerusalem. It's so liberal and so orthodox. But it's season. not just the offering of food, it's the interest in food. It's, right. the, it's the occasions that are, yeah. that are you know, the uh, celebration, catalyzed by food. And celebration around it. And, and yeah, everything has a connection to some sort of a tradition. It's not just here eat. You know, it's like <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, just the obsession with the best hummus is, is a hilarious uh, element. Hummus, yeah. The cues mm -hmm. uh, for the best hummus. Yeah. So, um, when you look at your career, um, you've made moves to New York. Did you leave New York for a reason? Um, is your wife American? My wife is from New York. And you met her at the three-star, Michelin-star restaurant yeah. you were at. My wife is from Brooklyn and we met at John George where I worked. Um, the reason we left New York was I was fed up pretty much. She, everything kind of like aligned, you know, I was fed up. Uh, Being fed up's good as a chef though, it means you're eating well, doesn't it? <laughs> I guess fed up that's, is very American, that, that's right? Mean, that's an old joke in my family, yeah. you know, where people were fed up and say, what are you complaining about? <laughs> True. Very Jewish. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm interrupting your flow. Don't. Oh, it's good, it's good. Um, so everything aligned because she got a proposal from her American company to come here and relocate. Uh, right. Because they opened the branch here in London. And, you know, I said, London, let's go. It's, another great capital, yeah. another great opportunity to expose myself and kind of like outreach to another culture. And I'm, sh you know, I felt after the seven years in New York that it's really developed me as a human being mm. beyond yeah. the chef, you know, more uh, eclectic in a way. But, and, and I said, let's go here, it's going to be great. Uh, my intentions were not to go back home. No. Never. You never want to go? Or you, I, uh, you know, maybe in the far future to, to, to kind of like retire there. <laughs> it's interesting hearing you say that when I have a daughter who made Aliyah, who chose to leave England yeah, I mean, and go my, to my, Israel. But my, she, she's incredibly powerful in Israel because she's got all that British charm. Yeah. Plus she's plus chutzpah and she's learned the Israeli directness. So Sounds she can like play any end of the spectrum you want. You yeah. know, if they're being direct, she's being charming. If they're being charming, she's being direct. You know, it's great. Works great. Yeah. That's uh, it. It's, it reminds me of my grandma that came from Scotland, from Glasgow in the fifties. She yeah. uh, was one of eight, the youngest. Her father' dream was to do aliyah to Israel, and she was the one that uh, did it. Uh, right. Yeah. It's like. A, so how do you how do you compare the UK or London maybe is more correct to your previous experiences? Uh, I mean, I, I guess that's sort of a, a general question, you know, and also a, a kind of a restaurant level question as well. Do we appreciate the food? Because we had such a terrible reputation for so long in England. As yeah, as, uh, yeah. No, nobody came here for the food, but you know that's changed so much. And I, it did, what, it what did. are your what are your impressions? Um, I'll tell you that in terms of. In terms of taste, is a completely different animal because in New York nothing stops to the level where you, on your days off, still have that necessity for consumption mm. in some way. It never stops. You cannot stop. Or here, uh, time off is time off. 
and I learned, I grew to appreciate that a lot. Uh, and then I think culture, culturally speaking, uh, there's more depth here, obviously because of history. But it's like the UK is uh, way more cultural in in sense of like true gen culture and something <clears throat> for someone from Israel it's very easy to connect to rather than uh, you know adapting to the American modern culture something mm. I liked for many years but then as I said I was a bit fed up with it mm. kind of like the lack of culture in a sense um, and when I'm saying culture in specific it's uh, literature art music and everything involved with that um, it's just more depth there to it. And it affects the food eventually, the way people dine, you know, the politeness here. Uh, in New York, if something is wrong, you'll immediately know it. Here, it's kind of like coming from the back door. <laughs> you mean, are you talking about when customers give you feedback? Yeah, you won't hear it. You know, they will tell you uh, they love it just from the place of being very, very adequate and polite. Yeah where you'll hear about it afterwards. I think, that, I think that's, that's an interesting observation about feedback because I, you know, I, I, I always think that you have to start with a contextual statement like, you know, I've so enjoyed the meal. I mean, yeah. if there's one thing I would you know, want to say, it's blah, blah, blah. Yeah. As opposed to just picking on that one thing. And I, I use the same technique with my kids, you know, whenever they criticize me, you know, they had some problem. I say, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Just tell me 10 good things I do. <laughs> <laughs> and then you can tell me yeah. the, you know, the thing you're not happy about. It's, maybe it's a bit like that, you know, with, mean, a, yeah. with a meal. Um, and it's, it's also how, how do you react to feedback criticism though? Are you, are you okay with that or? I think every source of criticism is uh, acceptable. It really depends where it comes from. You know, if it comes from your clients, you have to be receptive for it. Yeah. If it comes from your crew, for instance, there's a time for it because kitchen is a uh, kitchen is whether you like it or not has to come from hierarchy point of view. Commands come from up, down, and they need to move fast. And in order to perform that, you have to have kind of like a synergy. Yeah, you related this to the army. It's got to work as a machine, this thing. Yeah, there's no, room, there's no room for error because everything is hot, everything is sharp, yeah. and the immediate feedback is so immediate that you have to excel yourself if you want to perform in a high level, which is what we're trying to do here. And I always try to push everyone, you know, harder to get better. Uh, yeah. And, you know, criticism from them there is a place and time for it. You know? Yeah. Uh, they, I've noticed a lot of kitchens seem to have like a post-mortem when, the, when, the, when they're done serving. They seem to have a huddle yeah. and they talk about what happened. Is that it, right? Yeah, is that, it is. That's part of it. So it's a daily learning experience. super important, you know, because it's like, I always believe in the, in the sentence that says, mistakes can happen. Yeah. Uh, the first one is on me because I haven't showed you properly. Then I showed you from A to Z, I gave you the full explanation. Yeah. And then you did the same mistake. Yeah. There's two reasons for it. It's either you don't care or you're lazy. <laughs> so that's a tough choice, really. I, mean, I don't know which one I prefer. There's no preference for it. <laughs> <laughs> There's no preference for it. Shall I just go now? It's probably, I don't have to answer. But, yeah, um, but yeah, but you know. We've seen so many kitchen programs and so on, and where you know, the heat of the kitchen problem. I mean, but it's right. You know, they're, they're, you, you, you can't really carry people in that environment. You, you cannot. Know? No, but the, 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 the thing is, you know, individually for me, um, it's not rare. That's why I keep doing it so much. Is where I get that sense where I serve something to someone, yeah. and I see the either awe or the emotion of like, you know, even the slightest smile gives me some goosebumps that goes from my top of the, my spine all the way down and yeah it's so rewarding to work so hard and get that emotion from someone mm. and you, you never know who steps into your restaurant yeah. and what kind of day because you the you know the colors and the presentation of your food are incredible I mean that's that's part of it isn't it yeah, I, yeah. I'm just going to talk to you about a restaurant that I discovered in the very early days when our daughter made Alia yeah. called The Old Man in the Sea down in Adjar. Yeah, very famous. And, and for anyone that doesn't know that... Before you continue this story, not everyone's going to know what Alia is. Yeah. It's when my daughter decided to 
make a life in Israel, really, yeah. which is a, an open invitation from Israel to anyone that qualifies, not hard to qualify, uh, to come and settle in Israel. And there's a sort of policy to encourage people to do that. Right. Um, Aliyah means literally going up. Okay. That's the literal translation. And there was many Aliyahs during the history, uh, the first ones being in the 1800s, the late 1800s. My grandpa did an Aliyah, uh, was the third Aliyah from from Poland. Uh, so yeah. No. Just so our listeners know that those yeah. are yeah. This isn't a promo for the Israeli tourist board, but, yeah. uh, but, you know, but you know, we were always adventurous in looking for good food. And, you yeah. know, Adja has this reputation for being a bit further south than many Tel Aviv residents would want to go. Yeah. And um, you know, we were going to go, and we found this incredible restaurant called The Old Man in the Sea, mm-hmm. which um, has an industrial approach to catering. You would you'd sit at your table, and within ten seconds, little diamond-shaped small dishes would arrive with endless vegetarian offerings. They would literally fill the table with this pattern of diamond dishes. Salatim. Salatim, salads. And and somewhere in the kitchen, one guy made the carrot salad. One guy made the aubergine salad. And just when you thought you couldn't have any more, they would refill them. Uh And then when you thought that's over, they said, now we're moving on to the fish. And uh, it was an incredible experience. And they, they came around very honestly with stainless steel trolleys and plastic buckets and just put things in there the way that I suspect you don't do here. You know, we do not do it here. <laughs> <laughs> we do not do it here. But you know, but the food was amazing. Yeah, I mean, and it's a, it's a great way to experience uh, Israel eating. I think the sharing table is something that is very common uh, and very important in order to explain how we eat in Israel. Here, the menu, in instance, is a sharing concept. Right. And that's the idea to have that wonderful, colorful yeah. meal. Yeah, and that takes the stress out of ordering as well. You just put, present, yeah. you know, rather than everyone having to make, make uh, their own decision. That's why my favorite food is buffet. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, your last meal is an all-you-can-eat buffet. Just keep it coming. Funny enough, apparently most professional chefs, the, the, if they had to have a last meal, I'm sorry, that's not a very pleasant thought, but they all want to go to the Asador Echebari in Spain. I've just been there. Have you? <laughs> Did you meet Bitor? Victor? Uh, yeah. I've been there three times. I went there first in 2006 when no one knew about it. Yeah. And uh, now it it's impossible. It was incredible. My wife works in the industry, so she got uh, an in. We got a booking and yeah. we went there for a day. Okay. We flew in and out. It was amazing. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a, it's an arrest, a restaurant south of Bilbao in a lovely valley, in a place called Akshbe in Spain. And um, the last time I went there, I, I went in on the um, on the coattails of the Galician meat producer that yeah. they use for wow. their steak. Uh, you know, so there's, you have to have a way in. Otherwise, yeah, it's just too complicated. You know, I have to say, I mean, this comes back to a, a thought that when I went there last time, it was full of Americans who were just wanting to be seen. I, you know, I, you expect that, uh, you know, it's, uh, it was promoted with the American television show, The Chef's Table, you know, so it's like, yeah. happens. I, I actually saw a documentary about Anthony Bourdain. Yeah. Uh, and he's interviewing a woman in Italy in a restaurant. And he says, okay, let's flip the napkin and everything. And she says, why? And he said, you've been here eating all your life. And she said, yes. And he said, and he said to her, you want to see tomorrow this restaurant packed with American tourists? And she said, I don't care. <laughs> like, but it shows you, you know, it has such an impact, television on restaurants. Yeah. Well, I noticed this restaurant, the Asadoi Bari. when we went, it wasn't anywhere on any, on, on any lists. And then one day I was reading something and it was at the top 30 restaurants in the world and then it yeah. ends up at number three or yeah. something ridiculous. Yeah. You know? This year it just won six, number six. So it is an amazing establishment. Yeah. I was going to say, I've got a question here saying that what point did everything change for you? You're saying things on TV can change things instantly with this restaurant you did, Game of Chefs. Yeah, it is wrong. That changed for you being in the uh, Israeli defense what do you call it there, Force. army forces. So you've had various points where things have flipped for you. Mm-hmm. But what do you feel has been the most that has like resonated and you think, well, actually, yeah, this is, this is going better than what I could have planned out on paper. 
I think you know the the last thing that happened in my life is uh, coming here and meeting Asaf, who is the chef patron here. I think that's you know mere luck because we plan to move here, mm-hmm. and I had uh, stages aligned in Alain Ducasse and Core by Claire Smith uh, for positions. I said again, you know, the three Michelin and la la la, and then COVID started, and I. Uh, I told my wife, let's go three months to Israel before we move into the UK. And she said, fine, we were in Israel. And then, COVID. This, is, this plan is not happening. <laughs> Guess what? And I found myself sitting at home for eight months. And for someone like me, it's. I, I cannot even explain it. You so, know, have I, you stayed with your parents? Yeah, me, my wife, and my parents was great. You know, I was really happy from that aspect, but I was climbing the walls. You know, I, they just moved to a new apartment, so I uh, took a project to organize everything. And then, you know, I'm a project person, so everything has to be a project. And then I cooked everything in the book, and then I did that, and then I was like, okay, so what now? Mm-hmm. And then one day, randomly, the show came up on my Facebook feed. No one even knew about me in Israel, so no one chased after me, because they have those people who find the talents. Yeah, the scouts. Yeah, the scouts. And yeah. No, I came to Israel with no, you know, nothing, no, no prelo, and um, and uh, I joined the show and I met Asaf through that, and it uh, clicked really fast. And then I told him my plans are to move to London, and he said, "Well, if you're moving to London, I have a position for you." So this is Asaf Granit. Yeah. Yeah. So this is, you know, I'm one of the few, I guess, that COVID. Didn't really harm them. Everyone's got a <laughs> <I can't work. laughs> everyone's got a COVID story. Yeah. I was actually talking to a guy I know uh, who who does jigsaws of maps. Well, right. he makes incredible maps, and his lockdown project was to do a map of um, the world, um, identifying the best food in each place. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds great. So I'm going to get this, put it on my wall, and start marking. You know? Yeah. Kind of like a reference. These are the places I need to go. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think we all did something uh, during lockdown. But yeah, so you you won the competition. I got second. Oh yeah, well, not not one. I think second. You, but so second is normally the best place to yeah. be because the first one you know has to all the pressure. And then you you're like the I mean, you know, the second I, the second in line to the throne. You know you, you play badly. These, these uh, music pop show competitions so never really the people who come first that. That have the longevity. Yeah, I feel like I won because you know I got a ticket here. Yeah, that's a big prize. Yeah, uh, and you know the, I I think I'm happy. I, the other day I was talking with my wife about it. That show is feels like past memory. You know, it's not really something that is defining me right now, and I'm happy for it because it, it was a great experience. And now I'm on, I'm, I'm, I'm onwards, you know. It's yeah, it's like, a stepping like, stone. It is, it is a stepping stone. Yeah. It's not like something that's very defective, yeah. you know. It's like... Yeah. Do you find yourself saying yes to a lot of things that are offered to you, whether work or in life, you're, you're going, okay, yeah. It's hard for me to say no. It's hard for you to say to, no. To opportunities, yeah. I mean, I'm a super loyal person. So when I l- lean into something, I, I lean into it completely. But, you know, uh, if people say, let's do this, let's do that, let's try to do that, I will, I will always challenge myself because bored people are the walking dead. Mm. Yeah, boredom is the enemy. It yeah. is. My dad I mean, always used to just say boredom's a state of mind. So, if, like, if you keep thinking there is something to do, you will never have time correct. to get bored. He, 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 well, well on you, because you're always furiously busy. <laughs> <laughs> Whether it's useful or not doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> Dan, um, a couple of things you've said maybe have raised this question in my head. You know, are you um, a perfectionist? Big time, yeah. Big it's time. It's a big problem. Yeah. A bit OCD, perfectionist. To levels that I cannot even explain. I mean, I don't define myself as an OCD person because it's a. Uh, uh, I you thought know. the rearranging of the pots and pans was an early signal. I mean, me. I'm, a, I'm, I'm, I'm. I tested you by asking if you nested them, you know, because that, that would be, <laughs> maybe you put them in alphabetical order. Do you, Too do, young do, do to you? remember. I'm sure there was something, <laughs> some sort of. material. <laughs> <laughs> there was some sort of order that made sense in my mind, but it's like, 
uh, yeah, I'm sure if I'll be diagnosed, I'll be diagnosed with it. But I have never tried to diagnose it. I just live with it. Yeah. And I think once you put a label on something, you have an issue then. Yeah. yeah. I just find the you know the silver lining in between. Well, no, no, it's not meant to be a, a, an issue because you know many, many successful people are driven. You know, whatever word you want to use. Yeah. Um, and focused and, and energetic and determined and you know yeah um, so one of those things could be applied they might also equally apply to somebody you know who can justify those three letters yeah we actually came up with a, our own um, thing the other day didn't we <laughs> yeah. we were interviewing somebody who we were saying we didn't like cues yeah so we came up with a with, a, with our own acronym for a, a syndrome where you had to leave the queue like at the airport mm -hmm. and we called it QPRS Q-phobic <laughs> reactive syndrome. <laughs> so you know, they, excuse me, I've got QPRS. Oh. <laughs> I, need I, need to, I need to leave the queue. Um, but you know, what's the trick in Israel when there is a big queue of cars turning left? Yeah. Some people will go all the way to the front and want to ask the first car, "Is this left to Tel Aviv?" <laughs> and they will say, "Yes, come in, come in." That's a great trick. Yeah, we don't like queues in Israel. <laughs> But tell me how your your approach to your work has you know influenced your work. I mean, are you are you a restless soul, never never quite happy, always thinking it could be better, or what? What's yeah, your... I never I, I never have the feeling that you know. I'm always concerned about uh, the output. Um, never feel like what I'm doing is you know. I never catch myself and I'm saying, wow, this is really good. You know, and I'm really insecure about it. Uh, I always look, I'm like, you know, I'll, I'll give, if you sit on the counter right now, I'll give you something to eat and I will go to the end of the kitchen to really ex examine your first reaction. It's super yeah. important for me. Um, yeah. You've mentioned that a couple of times, actually. That's quite interesting. So, I mean, you, you get joy or satisfaction right? mm -hmm. from seeing in a reflected way from yeah. seeing your customers yeah. the wow of, as the plate is presented and yeah. then the second wow when they when take they the first eat. mouthful yeah. and then maybe some comment they might make hopefully yeah. in person rather than on some anonymous it's, it's website. It's a form of confirmation for saying you know it's like a tap on my shoulder to say good job you know and it, 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 thankfully it's not rarely uh, but still you know I'm, I'm I'm not waking up in the morning and saying I'm the best or I'm amazing. Uh, I wake up in the morning with like the sense of I have to do this, 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 this to get that, 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 that done. And it's uh, it's it's that's that's my drive, you know. The you've got a project approach. You said you know always. you like yeah yeah. I'm always but looking for like what's missing, not what do I have. You know, I see. Yeah. Uh, uh, but on the other hand, I'm very optimistic because I always see the half full glass, you know? Yeah. So. But it's, it's interesting, Dan, because a lot of people think that somebody who's you know, got a very disciplined approach has trouble in being creative. But the, the other argument is the person who's got all the boring things in life nailed down can then have, is free. Correct. to use their inventive and creative side to so where, where does your inventive creative side come through in your approach to food menus I, I noticed you using the way from the um, you know the waste way um, yeah to, to make a, a dressing for the asparagus and I mean, uh, you know as you said in the kitchen world we call it mise en place right so everything must be in place so once everything is must be in place my head is calm yeah and then I, it goes wonder and that's that's what brings me into the creation mode so the creation mode comes after that and you know the the place it comes from it's it's it can be anything it can be something i see in the middle of the street or a bite i had that made me thought about something else or i read in a book something that made me think about it or someone shared something with me on instagram and said oh this could really work or yeah yeah <coughs> it's I very mean, So Random. <coughs> it's not like a process that I get myself mm. into. But you're you're into torturing vegetables at the moment, is that right? Torturing vegetables, yeah, because well, they don't apparently feel pain. Although I think some Israeli scientist has probably proved by now that they do. Yeah. You know, because they 
they're well ahead of the game. <laughs> but um, I'm sorry, that's that's just my form of expression. But yeah. I mean, you know, working vegetables yeah. into something <laughs> amazing. You know. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think you know, it's very plant-based, uh, yeah. appealing uh, to a lot of people in the market. I think it's uh, something that is um, very similar to the way we eat in Israel. Yeah, and we're very plant based forward cuisine and I think that it shows good skills if you if you can take something simple and make it amazing by its own uh, characteristics so for instance take a cucumber and make something amazing just from that cucumber I know I think yeah. I think that's uh, interesting to think uh, rather than Obviously, I can take this piece of meat that had this great marbling and dry age and put it on a fantastic oven with charcoals and... Yeah. It's, it's a given. It's hard to go wrong, right? Hard to go wrong unless you <coughs> ruined it and cooked it well done, you know? Uh, yeah. For some people, it's appealing to eat it well done. Uh, but here's what I'm saying, you know, from the point of view of a cook, it's much more challenging to create something super delicious from a vegetable than from a piece of meat or fish. And you have to be aware of what's going on in our world. Yeah. You know, you have 45, 42 degrees here in the UK. What is it for? Global warming, overfishing, uh, over farming for cows, mass producing, you know. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm, that's a good debate, but you're saying we should prepare for a world where we are more responsible. You, you, you were talking about meat and fish being a sort of like a special treat or something, you know, not, not an everyday item. Even in but my home, you know, growing up, a piece of meat was a celebrated uh, thing. Yeah. You know, roast or a leg of lamb. Yeah. I came from a UK uh, heritage, you know, so a roast or a leg of lamb was on holidays mm -hmm. or on a Friday meal or a Saturday lunch. Never just a random, yeah. let's have steak for lunch, you know, it yeah. never happened. Well, in a well-organized kitchen, the, the roast on the Sunday would feed into other things all week. Correct. They would be cropping up in smaller items. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I, I think um, that's interesting. I mean, does that mean that you are involved in the provenance side of things? You, do you, are you, when you source your vegetables or mm. fruit vegetables, are, are you finding people that make particularly delicious tomatoes or something? That 100%. They, I, it's super important for me to be connected with the suppliers. Mm. Uh, do you work with companies like Natura or...? I work with Natura, I work with All Greens, and I work with random people. Literally, uh, three months ago when they... Uh, 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 the wild garlic started, Yeah. some guy came across and said, hey, I just bought this farm and I have lots of wild garlic. And I said, bring it in. Oh. So now it's being pickled and it's sitting in my fridge waiting for the new dish to come. So, okay. um, yeah, I'm... I'm Always I'm, I'm for available it. for the soft launch, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> wild garlic, we grow wild garlic actually. Yeah, it's super nice, you know, I, I pickled it with a little bit of sumac yeah. and vinegar and sugar, just a traditional brine mixture and it's, it's, uh, it's really tasty, it's really tasty. I've got a great little story for you actually, you know Mrs. Elswood, the pickles in the jars? Yes. And they're doing a, a rebranding, but I discovered why it's called Mrs. Elswood. Because the two guys that started it, one came from Elstree and the other came from St. John's Wood. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> it's always a measure. The, it is, yeah. the worrying thing is the picture of Mrs. Elswood is getting to a younger oh. person, you know. Even I hope it doesn't look as such. No, I, I hope they've not misjudged their market. Yeah. Though, you know. um, yeah, but I think that, you know, as you say, so what are you doing to vegetables when I say torturing? It's a sort of joke, but are you fermenting? Are you pickling? Are you are you doing other things to? Um, you know what's what's the biggest problem here in the UK is the short short seasons. I right. call it the brutal beauty of seasonality. Right. Uh, it's it's so good when it's on season, and it ends like that. And then you need to find like, a, for instance, that asparagus dish that was on the menu was literally three weeks, that and it's it. so heartbreaking when it happens because. The next day they would call you and say, listen, the line of asparagus is ending because it's not that good anymore. And then it, it pushes you to think a lot. So, um, 
pickling absolutely to extend seasons, uh, preserving, uh, but also you know different techniques with the same vegetable. For instance, we'll get this beautiful zucchini from uh, Natura, and then we'll try to roast it, we'll try to deep fry it, we'll try to uh, stuff it, we'll try to serve it raw, we'll try to sear it, whatever technique, steam it, poach it, and then we'll decide, okay, this is really, uh, uh, give it the right uh, stage for something. And then you'll think what flavors will bring it into a synergy of flavors. So it's like, uh, mm, all right, it needs some nuttiness, or it needs some fatness, or it needs some acid here, or a kick of spice. And then this is how you build those dishes. You know, you, you say creativity, everybody thinks like, you know, it's some weird chef science looking, uh, creating those potions and... <laughs> It's not, it's a craft, you know, it's like being a carpenter. You build a table, you know how to build it, you know how to find it. It's the same way of thinking about food. It's, you, have, you have a bank of flavors, you know what works with what, and you experiment with the techniques of each thing. Has there been something that you created and you think this is going to be, well, you don't think that excitedly, this Never. is going to be so amazing, and you taste it, you think, oh, oh my so God. Many times. <laughs> That, that's why I'm saying in the beginning of the interview we said that the tip of the iceberg is the service. Yeah. The amount of uh, hours given into each creation of a dish or new dish that comes into the menu is endless amount of bad tests bad of food. something that was like, wow, this is horrible. <laughs> you know? Sometimes great mistakes happen in the kitchen. For instance, that lavender reduction, you know, we we reduce the labonet every day and we get rid of the whey. And I said, why are we getting rid of it? Let me make a vinaigrette out of it. So I put it in a pot and I started reducing it slowly and I thought, I'm gonna have this beautiful white uh, substance and I'm gonna mix it with some oil and, and, and lemon and it's gonna be like, saying in your mouth, you know? And then, and then it starts caramelizing. Because there is natural yeast and sugar in the, in the yogurt and I was like, shit. And then I tasted it, because I, I felt, oh shit, I burnt it. Yeah. And then I tasted it, I was like, wow. It's like crazy umami flavor in your mouth. And that's a mistake. Yeah. It happened by a mistake. And a lot of the kitchen inventions are yeah. were, were sort of mistakes, weren't they? Yeah. Dropping things, yeah. e eating mess. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> What's been your biggest mistake outside of the kitchen? Can you say you like to do projects, you've got things that you, have there been things that you thought, I can do this, may not have the skills to do it, so really away from everything that I've learned in life, but you've given it a go and failed. <laughs> um, so what do you enjoy doing it away from work? I'll give you a, a chance to think there, don't yeah. you? Do you ride your bike with your hands behind your head? Always. <laughs> well, there's your answer. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, I mean, I had a few mistakes in my life. Um, I don't know. I, I, you know, I have stories from my childhood that are mistakes. I don't know if it's, you know, no, relevant. Um, but to be honest, but, but I, I guess the only question we don't need to know the details. Were they the result of experimentation and adventure? You know, were they falling out of a tree that you climbed up, or were they, or, you know, taking I mean, risks? It, it, it was a, it was a, it was a big risk. Right. Uh, so it was about taking risks. It was about taking risks. Yeah. yeah. So you, uh, you seem to be, if I can observe this, a fascinating mixture, an unusual mixture of somebody who's incredibly detailed, you know, project-driven, disciplined, and yet this kind of crazy risk taker on the other side. It's almost like you've got the the bad boy in you, yes. you know. There's the bad I, boy in you struggling with the with the good boy in you, and yeah. sometimes one wins and the other, you know. I think the good boy is doing, getting kind of like 80% of the action here, but the bad boy is definitely, definitely getting a look in, right? Jacqueline and <laughs> <laughs> It's, uh, I don't know how to explain it, you know. I, I Big mistakes I've chosen, not yet, thank God, knock on wood. Everything I've chosen was, so far, leading me to good places. Mm. Uh, I think the reason being is basically what what this whole meeting is about is you know to not think twice. 
you know it's 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 uh if if something builds up inside of you as a thought of like i should do that you should do it because yeah. it's like you know my my grandpa told me no is a given no is a given the example he gave me is about ladies if you need to approach a lady to ask her out if you don't approach her you have a no in your hand yeah if you do approach and you get a yes you earned yeah if she says no you already had it so you didn't really lose anything yeah um, and that's really what's all about about taking risks it's 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 knowing that a negative result is 80 percent mm. and a successful successful is 10 percent and something in between is also 10 percent you know yeah. so go with that i mean it's enough 10 percent is enough it's so much yeah it just means <laughs> it's so much my math may not be very good today but it sounds like if you try 10 times on average you'll you know you'll get very lucky yeah and i think that's actually the, the philosophy of our of our show is you know about people who do take risks I mean, there's this idea that you make decisions based on rational, empirical stuff, and yeah. then there's the gut instinct, intuition, and yeah. you know, and the um, interplay between those two. But like that, <clears throat> in our intro, we talk about that incessant voice in your ear, you know, whispering to you, "Do something, you know, yeah. take the, make the jump, make the move." Yeah. Of course, the, the idea is there's the devil one side and, 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 and the angel the other. So you know, it's hard to know whether you're listening to the devil or the angel. But, yeah. um, Take that show, for instance. You know, I, I, I'd never been on TV. I didn't know if it was... War, War of Chefs. Yeah, Games of Chefs. Oh, I never know. I never... <laughs> War of Chefs is better. It's better. We, we were actually saying earlier, you know, if it was like that, and there were all these sharp knives around, if you see one of your competitors doing yeah. well, you know, you've got a way to put them out of it. <laughs> Fast. Uh, Fast and uh, sharp. But it's, it's um, you know... I could lose in so many aspects, you know. I, I came from New York, working for a three Michelin star restaurant with all that boom boom bazaar, yeah. blah 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 blah, and then I go to this TV show and I fail the audition. How embarrassing it is for me! What will it, you know? It will yeah. always be a stain in my career. But I didn't look at it. I, I looked at the the opportunity here and I said, "Yalla, let's do it." You know, it's like. Yeah. What do I have to lose? <laughs> yeah, well, funny, it's interesting. That's the question you ask. Because we, we've actually boiled a lot of this down to that asking yourself the right question, you know. I mean, if, if the question is, might it be embarrassing? Might I be rejected? You're never going to do anything. Right. If, if the question is, what's the worst that could happen? Or, you know, and, and you're robust enough, confident enough in yourself that you can, you can wear something going wrong, you know, then that's got to be the way to go. Yeah. And you allow for the unusual thing, the unlikely thing. Being a and kid in, you know, it's paralyzing those thoughts because yeah. being a kid in Israel, <coughs> everybody goes to Eilat. It's the southern city in Israel. It's on the Red Sea. It's beautiful. It's like a resort. Yeah. Uh, and the wild kids, there is a bridge above a canal that goes from the bay and the wild kids jump. They wait for the boats to go and then they jump. Wow. It's a yeah. big jump, is it? It is a big jump. And I was standing there paralyzed. I could not jump and all my friends laughed at me because I could not jump because I was paralyzed from the thought of like what if a boat just yeah. you know and 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 what if I you know land not good or what if a shark comes <laughs> or like, you know? uh, so I didn't jump yeah. I didn't jump did I lose something a joy of a moment respect yeah. for my friends um, well but you know, this is a physical thing. When yeah. when you take life decisions or def define if the thought of what you may lose or what could happen, what could go wrong, it's the same as that kid standing on the bridge. It's paralyzing. Yeah, you won't you, take it. You raised a really interesting point as well, Dan, which is I think it's easier for people who have little to lose to make big, take big risks because you know what's the worst that could happen is not very much. I think as you become more successful, it becomes harder to to maintain that that philosophy of you know, still letting go of your three Michelin star restaurant in New York and doing something else that might or might not be successful, but it takes you in a different direction, it's growth, yeah. it's development. Depends what drives you, you know, it's like, for me, the three Michelin star restaurant I worked in was not my three Michelin star no. restaurant, mm -hmm. you know? 
it was not my stories. <coughs> I worked for someone to yeah. retain his stories. Um, and I see my chef Asaf, you know, he's a very successful man, but he doesn't stop. Sometimes I tell people when I talk about him, he's like a shark. If he stops, he's dead. Yeah. You know, you can see it in him and you can feel it. And it, 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 uh, it catch you, it catches you that energy. Uh, so do you use what you saw in him to keep yourself balanced? Yeah. I mean, no, I, 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 I think, you know, I'm more like, like him in the sense of, not stopping, you know, uh, rather than balancing myself. I think it's like, I always want to be better and achieve more, not because uh, I lack of something, it's just I'm A, afraid to be bored, super afraid to be bored, and then uh, I need something to drive me. And this is a great pusher. Well, look, I mean, I think we've, we've brought the conversation around to this, this whole question of risk-taking and the approach to life, yeah. which I think is where we want to you know, give people role models and life experience. And you've provided that in, in huge amounts. It's been really, really interesting. I mean, Absolutely. but you're not, you're not done yet, are you? No, you're I'm a young. young man. I'm, uh, you're a young man. Turning 34 yeah. next year. So, I mean, so, uh, yeah. and chefs keep going. You know, it's not like yeah. athletes or tennis players, you know, you get better. I think a very important thing, if I may add, is not to compare yourself to no one. Mm. You know, I just read an article about Marco Pierre White. He went to Israel for the first time and they interviewed him. So the interview was in Hebrew and I read it in the newspaper. He was uh, acclaimed three Michelin star restaurant when he was 33 years old. And yeah. I read it and I say, I'm 33 years old and I don't have that yet. It's my dream. I don't have that yet. But I think that comparing, comparing yourself to others is, is a mistake, especially in the kitchen. You work among chefs. Uh, it's a very competitive area. Some are better in these areas, some are better in these aspects. You have to understand that you have your own path. And I think everyone in any industry, in any form of, of profession, or if, you know, if you're not working, if you're a kid, uh, that listens to it. Just don't compare yourself. Mm. You know, don't, don't have your own standards. Have your own standards. Have high standards. Yeah. Highest. Yeah. I mean, that's the other the, the other trap of comparing yourself is you can compare yourself to people who aren't ambitious, who, yeah. who accept little in life. You know, I mean, Marco Pierre White's not a bad role model. What was that restaurant that he had? Was it the the one in Ballam? Yes. Yeah, that one. Yeah. I know the one. I can't think of the name now. Shea Bruce, it's called now, isn't it? I, Today. Yeah, I think so. I think so. But it's, uh, yeah, he's now 50 or 60, so it's, it's long years. Long years, but still young. Yeah. Still still creating and pushing and moving. Yeah. Still know? learning, yeah. So did you did you agree that Asador Echibari would be the place to go? For no. No, you'd have somewhere else in mind. Yeah. Can you say where? <laughs> You'll be disappointed. No. Well, Morning's fried chicken. It's a very, <laughs> it's a very humble southern fried chicken in America. Oh, it is fried chicken. Fried that chicken. was right. It's not Morley's. Fried chicken, <laughs> some uh, braised collard greens with ham hocks, vinegar on the side. It's super American. Uh, yeah. uh, cornbread, they, a little they, bit they, of they, baked beans. So they got you, the Americans. In that sense, yeah. Yeah, they put the honey on the chicken. So the Cajun spice is so good. How's the cornbread done? Because Daniel's son makes a very good cornbread. Yeah. Uh, they have different uh, ways, but uh, you so know, I sometimes they put jalapenos inside. It's really yeah. nice. Mm. Yeah, he puts chili. Yeah. yeah. I'm so glad I asked you that question. That's so not what I expected. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I can just imagine the end of the world and all these top chefs out there in Acid or Echibari and you're down there at... Fried chicken in Louisiana. <laughs> <laughs> all on your own. <laughs> Sweating. <laughs> Maybe that's where we should leave uh, today's interview. Absolutely. Dan, it's been amazing. Thank you so much. I, I hope you've enjoyed it as much as Absolutely. we have. Absolutely, I always enjoy it. Yeah, That's I mean, great. It's a great way to know people and, you know, share your story. And we're looking forward to being uh, treated very well. Absolutely, you're more than well, welcome. I mean, we don't write reviews, you know, so, uh, <laughs> so, so there's no, no chance of losing our independence. But we will let people know that if they do want to come along to the cold drops, 
the Cole office at Cole Droxy Art. You can book online and make sure you've got a date ahead because it's very yeah. busy book, here. Book in 2024. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, everyone, and we'll see you again. Thank you. Bye. Don't miss future episodes of Look Mum, No Hands. Share and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts and give us a five-star review on Apple. If you are inspired to take that leap and join us on the show and share your experiences or have a friend who might, message us on Instagram at Look Mum, No Hands Podcast. This has been a Talks With My Neighbour Productions, produced and hosted by Sarah Sharman and Daniel Confino. Music by George Twydell, artwork by Jane Confino, and title voiceover by Joshua Sharman. <laughs>